Hello, everyone. You are listening to Evidence for Faith. This is the Christian Apologetics Show, which helps Christians become thinkers and thinkers become Christians. Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Larrakis, and uh, because Keith Kendricks is on a cruise with his uh, lovely wife Nancy around the uh, uh, Bahamas, we have a special guest with us today, Kirk Hastings, who's an author and a, uh, a strong man of faith, and welcome to the show again, Kirk. Hi, Mike. How are you? Uh, we uh, asked Kirk to uh, sit in for Keith because uh, he is uh, a published uh, individual, and he has a terrific book that was just published this past year. It's entitled What is Truth? And it's basically a handbook for separating fact from fiction in a propaganda-filled world. And uh, he goes into a lot of the things in his book that we're actually going to be talking about on today's show. As Josh mentioned in the uh, previous hour, we're talking today about the existence of God, uh, but we're basically looking at the math, the science, and the philosophy that prove God's existence. Not the religion, not the faith, just the facts. Um, Folks, you can call us on this show at 609-398-1020 to express your opinion, to argue with us, to uh, uh, support a uh, position along with us. Uh, we are streaming live on the uh, internet, wibg.com, and um, you can email us with questions as well. Um, you can feel free to email us at uh, evidence uh, for faith. that's the number for evidenceforfaith at gmail.com. And Keith, if you're listening to us over the internet on your cruise, it's time to turn over to keep that suntan even. Okay. Uh, Keith, I know you are listening because you told us that you're going to make sure that we did a good job, and of course uh, we will. Uh, today's show really is geared towards the uh, non-believer, the pre-believer, the seeker, uh, anybody who um, uh, is confused by what's apparent, what's visible in today's universe, what's real, and... Um, um, trying to reconcile in their own mind the existence of a supreme being, a creator, uh, the originator of the, the universe, uh, we would welcome you to the show and welcome your comments. But today we're going to stick with just the facts. Uh, we're not going to use the Bible, we're not going to use faith, we're not going to use religion. We're going to talk about the things that in our own mind prove in this physical day and age, this physical world, that a supreme being exists. Kirk, if you had to uh, address somebody who wants to know what it is that you believe, just from a physical perspective, uh, why the universe is what it is, and that it was created by who it was created by, what would you tell them in a nutshell? What do you think is your most compelling argument? Ooh, that's a big question. It is a big question, and that's why you wrote the book, actually. Yes. I, I, I was just going to say, I wrote about this 300-page book answering that question. Where do you want me to start? Okay. Well, um, we're gonna... I, I guess I would have to start out with uh, when I was in my early 20s, I was asking the same questions about, mm -hmm. you know, w what is religion about generally, and is there anything to this, and why should I believe any of this, and how do I know which one is right, and all those kind of questions. And for me, it came down to... Um, I at least try to be a rational, logical 
person. I don't like to have people say things to me like, well, you just have to believe or you just have to have faith or um, the pie in the sky type stuff. I, I need to have facts and evidence to compel me to believe something. And in my mind, believing in God shouldn't be any different from believing in anything else in life. You examine the evidence, and you go with whatever the evidence shows you one way or the other. And I, it seemed to me that if God is really real, you should be able to uh, uncover evidence that he exists just like uh, you uncover evidence for anything else. And, you know, not necessarily just using the Bible. Of course, the Bible tells us a lot of things about God that we couldn't know any other way. But as far as, you know, the basic question as to whether he's real or not, um, we should be able to answer that to some extent by the world around us should indicate something one way or the other. And that's where I started Correct. with that. And, you know, I, too, had a very similar problem. Uh, being a, a man of, of math and science, uh, and also as a, as a physician, I had to come to grips with that too. Mm-hmm. And just from the science point of view, uh, one of the stumbling blocks that we all have as scientists is that you, if you can't see it and you can't measure it, you can't taste it, you can't feel it, then, then mm-hmm. how can you tell me that it exists? This right. God concept is a very, very difficult thing to get a hold of. And so because of that, we're going to try to get into some of the reasons why you and I uh, came to a faith, because we fully understand the bigger magnitude and the bigger questions that uh, have evolved not only in our own mind, but also within the realm of science and reason as well. Mm -hmm. And that's why today we're going to talk about the math and the science and the philosophy behind the existence of God without going to faith or without resorting to the Bible or any of the other religious tools that we might tap into. We're just Mm -hmm. going to talk about the facts. And if you are listening, you can call us uh, with questions, comments, uh, or arguments uh, at 609-398-1020. Okay, why don't we get into uh, some of the the facts um, about uh, the existence of God. And I think that before we get into major discussions about science and so forth, I think we have to talk about some mathematical concepts such as infinity. Okay, hmm. if we have, if everybody has a concept of infinity, then we all realize how big this number can be. If you have an infinite collection of coins or an infinite collection of cars or stamps, this is a never ending stream of physical objects. Just mm-hmm. like when you look up into the sky, there's an infinite number of stars, mm-hmm. too numerous to count. At least to us, it appears that there are. Correct. Now, One of the concepts that philosophers have been grappling with uh, since day one is that they want to know if it's actually possible to cross infinity. Can you come from the very beginning and come up to the present or go beyond or start in the present day and go back to infinity? And the answer is no. It's impossible to cross infinity, just as it's impossible, impossible to count the number of stars, or impossible to count any infinite number of things. Sure. It just can't happen. Well, the word infinity in itself means no end. That is correct. So how can you come to the end of it if there is no end? Correct. Now, scientists have been grappling with this as well, and one of the ways they try to explain the universe is with the Big Bang. 
okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, just like, you know, you and I would resort to the Bible and say, well, God created it on the first day. But in the Big Bang Theory, the scientists are actually admitting that the universe had a beginning. Now, by universe, sure. I, I mean um, um, everything in the spatial, temporal um, uh, universe is uh, what we define as the universe. Spatial, temporal, physical objects within the universe is what we're talking about. And really, it's, it's impossible to count those number of bodies. So it had to have a beginning, and the scientists try to best explain it by uh, Big Bang. Now, you and I would say, well, okay, there was a beginning, and therefore it had to have a beginning, a, be- a beginner, rather, to uh, bring about this, this effect, which we call the universe. So, But it's interesting, too, that these scientists that believe in the Big Bang, if you ask them what was before the Big Bang and what caused it, they have no answer to that. Correct. But the, the basic pre- uh, supposition... Yet they'll still insist that they believe the universe is infinite, that it's always existed, but they cannot tell you what there was before the physical universe came into being. Correct. And, and to that end, we would argue that there is something bigger, something um, huge, something magnificent that could have put this all together and caused the universe to begin. Okay, so there was a beginner, if you will, something that created this, put all the right things in place to start this. We know that the universe had a beginning because you can measure the actual uh, heavenly bodies expanding. You know, the universe is expanding. Right, right. So if if you want to go back in time uh, by extrapolation, you can say, well, it had a beginning because everything would have been condensed and compressed at that moment in time, and scientists call call that the Big Bang. Nothing can expand forever. It has to start expanding at some point. That's correct. It's not static. It's moving. So it had to start moving at some point. So, and, and the, the question is, when and where did it start moving? Right. Well, there had to be a mover to start right. that movement. And he had to put all the ingredients together. And we call that concept God. The he, prime mover. Yes. He is the uncaused cause of all that's physical. Right. And, you know, it's an interesting definition of God, the uncaused cause of all things, because both atheists and theists agree on that definition. So mm-hmm. if they're going to get into a debate, they have to agree on what the definition of God is. Now, they, sure. may, they may not believe in God. They may say, well, uh, there is no God, but if you want to argue about the concept of God, they all agree that he would be the uncaused cause of all that's real. He would have to be. Right, exactly. Yes, that's what he would have to be if he existed. So whether you're a believer in God or not, and we're not talking about Christianity, we're talking about the essence of God or the concept of God, the prime mm-hmm. mover, the beginner, uh, the creator of the universe, and so forth. Scientists explain it by the Big Bang. Um, I actually refer to it as the Big Flash, because in the beginning when God created it, he said, let there be light. In hmm. space, it's a vacuum. There is no sound in a vacuum. Right. So there couldn't have been a bang. It had to be a flash. Okay, oh, I never ha- thought of it that you way. You have to have an atmosphere to uh, transmit Can you sound. have a silent bang? <laughs> there would be a big flash, but there would not be a bang. Right. Okay. That's true. So so the, the argument about infinity is another um, uh, interesting argument because there had to be a beginning. There had to be the beginning of time, uh, time and space at the beginning with something bigger than that operating outside of 
space and time. Mm-hmm. And that's where we come up with the concept uh, of God. And really, if, if you approach the argument from the materialist point of view, they believe that the material universe is all that there is. Mm-hmm. So the you if that's the case, then all I think most atheists and materialists would admit, if you back them into a corner, that all material things have a beginning somewhere. Everything material comes into existence at some point. It, it's not there forever. Something makes it a material thing. Yeah. And then you have to, if you go back beyond that, it's like, okay, what would cause a material thing? It would have to be something that's not material in order to create that because the creative force would have to be greater than the thing it creates. You see what I mean? Yes, and if you take the argument back to its logical beginning or conclusion, if you will, nothing can come from nothing. And that's part of the problem, and that's why scientists have to explain it in a certain way. If someone tries to say, well, the universe came from nothing, that's a nonsense statement. Uh, You know, that's like saying blue is, is yellow. You know, it just, it's nonsense. It doesn't make any sense. It's like, okay, if, if you believe that at one point there was nothing, you have to come up with an explanation as to how we got from nothing to something. And the nothing can't make something. That, that is correct. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's also the uh, point. You know, even with your own personal beginning, okay, you were mm-hmm. conceived when two strands of DNA combined, mm-hmm. and then the first cell division happened. Okay, that had a beginning. Right. But you have to back up the, the truck and go all the way back. There had to be the beginning of life, all life forms as we, as we know it. Right. And they all had a beginning. And where did the first human being come from that started this cycle? Well, there had to be a first one somewhere. Right. But by extension, also, all living forms had to come from something. And right. scientists explain that in the form of a primordial soup, which then sprang forth life. But then again, you have to believe in spontaneous generation. Which itself is an unscientific concept. That, that is correct. And it's a claim that we all know to be false. But in order to be correct, uh, politically correct in the scientific realm and the secular humanists' worldview, you have to believe that things came from nothing. Okay, mm-hmm. whether it was the beginning of the universe or whether it was the beginning of any life form whatsoever. Right. So that there are two... And when have you ever seen something come from nothing? Uh, You know what, folks? I would actually challenge any one of you who's listening out there to call in with an example, a bona fide example of something that sprang into existence from nothing. You can call us at 398-1020. Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Larrakis. I'm Kirk Hastings. Okay, welcome to the show again, Kirk. Um... But anyway, those are a couple of arguments that you can use going back to the beginning of time and also back to infinity. And the point we're trying to make here, folks, is that the, uh, the spatiotemporal world that we define as the universe is something that science has put into a box, something that's definable, something that's finite. But we know better than that. We know that there's something bigger than the box, something that's outside of the box that created what's in the box. Uh, And it's our our job today to try to help you bridge that gap uh, between materialism and science to the concept of a creator and a beginner who started this whole process that we now call our own universe, the planet that we live on, and the beginning of life. 
And so, I think what you're also trying to at least imply here is that in the physical world, there really is no such thing as an infinite number of anything. You have to have, there has to be a number. There has to be, you know, you have to start at the first one and you get up to however many you have, but you, having an infinite number of anything in a materialistic sense is really impossible. So then the question is, um, it really kind of leads you to the idea that something that is infinite must have created that which is less than infinite. In other words, the creator would have to be greater than what he creates. There, there's also, uh, I really don't think you can come up with any example in the materialistic universe of something that can create something that is superior to itself. It's either equal or lesser than what created it. So if you apply that to the universe, something greater than the universe must have created it. That you know, logic would lead you to that. Sure. And then the question is, okay, what what would that thing be? Right. And hence And our answer is God. Yes. And you know, getting back to the universe, I'd like to bring in the argument of entropy into this. Mm-hmm. Because when you look at the universe and we know that it had a beginning, you know, whether it was created by God or the Big Bang, it doesn't matter, that's immaterial. We we all agree, whether you're you're religious or whether you're scientists, uh, that the universe had a beginning. Okay, now by logical extension and using the second law of thermodynamics, that is entropy, everything is unwinding, everything is... Is going, running down. Running down, everything is decaying. The uh, universe is constantly losing heat and energy. That is correct. That's why the stars are burning, their fuel is burning up. Right. If the universe has, has been going on for an infinite number of years, we would have had an infinite number of stars already die right. and be gone. Right. We know that our our own Earth's star, the sun that we know, is eventually going to run out of fuel. Right. That'll eventually happen. It will not go for an infinite number of years. Right. Because it's a, a smaller star on the scale of things. And so far as we know, every other star in the universe has the same quality. It's using fuel, and one day we'll run out of it. That's correct. So we know by extension that because of entropy that the universe cannot be an infinite uh, collection of stars that'll last forever. Mm -hmm. It's finite, and the amount of energy within each star is finite. And that eventually there will be star death. We see that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Stars are dying, but then there are other stars that are being created, some supernovas. But remember, with entropy and using the universe, whatever star that's created is sucking in energy from other locations, but the net effect is that you're still losing energy. Mm-hmm. And you're losing mass because right. that mass is being consumed and heat is being given off. So the universe is cooling. That's also been demonstrated with mm-hmm. uh, spectral uh, analysis uh, as the shift occurs and so forth. But we, we, can, we can see that uh, not only as scientists but also by logical extension uh, with uh, the second law of thermodynamics. Yeah, try running your car when it runs out of gas. <laughs> right. Um, and by the way, we're not talking about evolution today. We're talking about uh, the existence of God. We're talking about uh, how it is that this whole thing came into existence. And we're trying to use uh, some math arguments, some scientific arguments, as well as some um, um, philosophical arguments as to the existence of God. And really, it's, it's, 
you come to that conclusion because there really is no adequate explanation being offered by uh, scientists or, or uh, secular humanists to explain how it is that this whole thing came into existence, you know? And it's, a, it's really a fascinating discussion. You know what? If I could just repeat uh, what you just said a minute ago, the idea that we're posing is that if the universe were infinitely old, it would have run out of fuel an infinite number of years ago, mm-hmm. long ago, in other words, very long ago. So the fact that the universe is still here indicates it's not infinite. That's correct. And, and the bottom line is that uh, um, the net effect is that the universe is running out of gas. It's, it's cooling, and um, it is not going to go on forever. Mm-hmm. So what if the universe is running out of uh, energy? Okay, and what if it's been here infinitely long? It leads us to some problems, and, and the astrophysicists have recognized this. And um, they know that uh, even our own sun can't last forever. Um, and by logical extension, they know if, if each and every star is going to run out of energy, it had to have a logical beginning. It had to have a beginning point. Mm-hmm. And we're not here to argue whether or not it was 5,000 years ago, 50,000 years ago, or 50 billion quadrillion years ago. <laughs> the point is, is that the universe had a beginning. Each and every body within the universe had a beginning. And... Uh, just from an operative point of view, I, I believe that everything in the universe in that box was created by something bigger than the box and outside of the box. That mm-hmm. is out of outside of time and space. Right. Okay. So we can't we can't quantify God, but we know that He had to be bigger than what He created, and He is outside of time and space. Right. It's interesting too that. Uh Einstein's theory of relativity even points to the fact that the universe must have had a beginning. And when he came to that realization, he he was, um, I think he started out as an atheist, and he ended up kind of an agnostic toward the end, and I'm not sure whether he actually got to a point of faith before he died or not, but he was very reluctant to face this idea that the universe must have had a beginning. Hmm. But his theory of relativity was forcing him toward that. And it's interesting, I don't have any of the quotes right in front of me right now, but it's interesting to read some of the quotes from him during his life as he got older, where he slowly started to admit, well, the universe must have had a beginning, and there must have been a creative force that brought it into existence, because science points toward that. He couldn't escape it. Yeah. He didn't particularly want to come to that conclusion, but the evidence forced him to it. Yes, and I, I've actually read a number of his quotes where he actually references God. Yes. You know, in his, in his quotes. Especially later in his life, he started to do that because he started to understand his own scientific theories were forcing him to that conclusion, even though he didn't necessarily really want to go there. You know, it's funny. I was, I was having a discussion last week with some other people about... Uh, Einstein's equation E is equal to mc squared. And for those of you who aren't familiar with what that means, the E part is energy, m is mass, and c squared is the speed of light uh, squared. Now, the speed of light is 186,000 miles per second. Square that number, and it's a huge astronomical number. Right. No pun intended. But the point is is that if you want to look at the mass of the universe, okay, all you have to do is rearrange the equation okay, and bring the c squared under e, okay, you can also rearrange the equation and look at it from other perspectives. 
and see that the amount of light and energy that was elaborated, it's just an astronomical number. Mm -hmm. But then again, when you get into the uh, um, second law of thermodynamics, the mass is decreasing and the energy is decreasing because it is not an infinite quantity. Right. Even though the number is huge, it's not infinite. Right. Okay. So anyway, that's... Uh, and we shouldn't confuse that, that a huge number and an infinite number are not the same thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. I think some people use those terms, uh, you know, to substitute one term for the other, but they're not the same thing. They're, they're using it loosely. Okay. Um, so anyway, what, what do you think uh, caused God? Is that a question that can be answered? That's a question that a lot of children ask. You know, children think simplistically, and if you say, well, you know, they'll come to you at some point in their life and they'll say, well, what, what caused the universe? And you say, well, God caused it. And, of course, their next natural question is going to be, well, who caused God? <laughs> and how do you answer that? <laughs> well, it's, I, I go back to the box. You know, God caused everything. God created everything, but he's not inside of the box. He's not quantifiable. He's outside of the box. And he's what caused everything to come into existence. He's the uncaused cause of mm-hmm. all that is physical. Okay, so it's a... And That's you know the what? best answer, that he is, the, he is unique and that he is the only uncaused cause in the universe. He's the starting point for everything else. Right, and he had volition. He had to decide that he was going to cause it. And really, scientifically, you, you eventually are forced to that conclusion that if you keep going back far enough, you have to come to an uncaused cause. There, right. There's just no other place to go. Right. And everything that does come into existence has to have a cause. Yes. We refer everything to that. material. That's correct. Right. Everything and of course, God is not material, so that doesn't apply to him. Okay. So what is God if he's not material? He's a spirit according to what the Bible and Jesus taught us. Right, but he is he is outside of space and time. He actually started this whole ball rolling with the first created thing, and we, we can call that the universe, mm-hmm. and hence time started. Okay, mm-hmm. but he's always been outside of space and time. There was no time before God, and there was nothing else before God. No, because time is really related to the physical universe. You have to have a physical universe in order to have time. One's de- kind of dependent upon the other. Mm-hmm. But right. if you don't have time, if you don't have a physical universe, you don't have time either, which, of course, also leads back to the idea in the Bible that God is beyond time. Time doesn't affect him because that's, he's, it's not, uh, that's something he created with the physical universe. So he's outside of time, right? which... If you think about that long enough, can boggle your mind. Sure. But you, you really, logically, you're you're inevitably forced to that conclusion that time must have been created by something outside of it. Right. So if somebody really what that is, we don't know exactly, but right, that has to be the answer. And if somebody tries to nail you down uh, with the question, um, you know, what caused God or who caused God, it, it's really a question that you can't answer because he didn't come from anywhere. He was no. in existence from 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 the infinite beginning of of time, which he created, mm-hmm. and uh, he's uh, outside of the box. We are all inside of the box, and if you want to look look at the universe as a box, 
but you can't put him in the box. He's bigger. And us being in the box, it's really hard to conceive of what something outside the box would be. Mm -hmm. But that's what God is. And, you know, when you look from outside of the box in, you realize how minute we are. Yes. You know, it's just a, it's an amazing thing. How finite and how limited we really are. Right. Okay. So, um... Yes, I, I, I have an understanding that uh, we have a, a caller. Um, go ahead, caller, identify oh, yourself. Hi, uh, I was listening. I heard you talking about Einstein, and I, uh, his most famous quote was that um, science without religion is lame, religion without science is blind. Yes, I've heard that. Yeah, wow. And then another one that he said that's really, I got these off of a um, Judaism website that had a whole thing on Einstein. And it says that everyone who is seriously involved in the pursuit of science becomes convinced that a spirit is manifest in the laws of the universe, a spirit vastly superior to that of man, and one in the face of which we, with our modest powers, must feel humble. Wow. I've That's never heard that powerful, one before. Huh? Yeah, I've not heard that one either. Yeah, if you guys want to go there, it's called simpletoremember.com, and it has a whole list of his quotes. Very interesting. Say it again, simpletoremember.com? Yeah, simpletoremember.com, and it's all about Einstein. Wow. Things that, so, you know, I mean, there's a superior mind admitting that there's a spiritual force. That's almost a direct endorsement of the Bible. <laughs> it sure is. Amazing. But thanks, I thought you, you'd like that. Do you, yes. Do you have any insights as to whether or not uh, Einstein actually was a believer in Judaism? We know that he was Jewish. But was he a, a believer in God? Uh, he talks a lot about God. Right. So he says, I want to know how God created this world. I want mm. to know his thoughts. So, I mean, I don't know. Who knows? God knows. <laughs> God's well, the only one that knows that. So. Well, that'd be pretty cool if we meet him one day, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much for calling. You're welcome. Bye. Thanks a lot. You are listening to Evidence for Faith. Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Larrakis. And I'm Kirk Hastings. Okay, if I'm you, awake. <laughs> okay, if you have any uh, questions or comments or thoughts. I was just boggled by that yeah. quote. I'm still thinking about it. You can call us at 398-1020. Uh, again, you can also email us. If, if you are a little bit on the shy side, you can email us uh, uh, to our uh, website. That's Evidence for Faith. That's the number four, Evidence for Faith at gmail.com. Uh, today we're talking about uh, the existence of God, the math, the science, and the philosophy that prove God's ex- existence, and not just the religion, not the faith, just the facts. So we're trying to stick to that. We're trying not to uh, bring the Bible uh, into the discussion, uh, but obviously if you are searching, you can find a lot of answers to life's uh, most compelling questions uh, in that uh, the book, the number one bestseller of all time, uh, even though it doesn't show up on the New York uh, book bestseller list at all ever. it would be on there every week so it, they just don't bother exactly they don't want to waste the uh, the type on it um <clears throat> but anyway uh today we have kirk hastings who is a uh, a published uh, author his book uh, what is truth and it's a handbook for separating fact from fiction in a propaganda filled world uh that is available it was copyright in 2009 uh, by published by america uh, and you can go online and get that um, at uh, Amazon.com or any other leading bookseller. BarnesandNoble.com or any of those internet book sites. Right, any other um, um, uh, internet site. And you site. could order a copy from your local bookstore. They don't have it on the shelf. 
Yep, and they, they can. Uh, it's available. And uh, Kirk uh, spent uh, several years researching this book and really looking at the questions that life uh, offers up. Uh, and uh, his is a uh, no-nonsense, logical, um, um, mind-friendly uh, uh, book that will guide you in your own search and answer the questions um, uh, that many men going back to the beginning of time have uh, asked. You know, for instance, can we know if God really exists? Uh, is the Bible historically accurate? Is Christianity, Christianity intellectually credible? Uh, is Jesus really God? Uh, do science and the Bible conflict? And uh, does our mass media tell us the truth about Christianity and the Bible? So if you're looking for, for answers to questions like those, you might want to check out Kirk Hastings' book, What is Truth? Very interesting title, too. I, I love the, the quote because that was exactly the, uh, the question that Pilate asked when Jesus was on trial, what is truth? Um, so welcome to the show again, Kirk. It's a pleasure working with you. Um, Keith Kendricks uh, is on a cruise with his lovely wife, Nancy, and we hope that they're enjoying the, uh, the Bahamas. Uh, but anyway, back to the, um, um, the item at hand, and that is the existence of God, uh, the math, the science, and the philosophy behind that. Um, so anyway, we've been talking about the universe and how it came into existence and uh, the mover or the force behind it and how nothing can come from nothing. Uh, I think that uh, anybody who's logical understands that. Uh, we know that spontaneous generation never happened. Uh, something had to create all of life. Something had to create the universe. Uh, a creator, uh, uh, um, some moving force bigger than the universe itself had to put it all together to make it come to exist into existence. We know that the Big Bang is what science holds as the beginning, um, um, but we're arguing that uh, that Big Bang was actually uh, moved uh, by uh, the Creator God. Um, but anyway, we wanted to talk about some of the other uh, scientific uh, evidences, uh, Kirk, um, because the show today is trying to stay away from faith items, and it's trying to uh, stay away from fiction items. Uh, but the interesting thing that I find about uh, science frequently, especially with the atheists and with the uh, secular humanists, it takes more faith to believe in, as an atheist uh, in the science, some of the stuff that's being propagated by the scientific um, uh, professors, especially in our colleges and universities, takes more faith to believe what they're saying than it does to believe in a creator God. Because mm -hmm. um, really when you study the evidence for what they believe, their evidence is extremely flimsy. Well, they fill the rest of it in with speculation and imagination. That's, that, that's absolutely correct. And they're trying to give uh, explanations um, that they really can't uh, support and uh, by and large, the uh, students are unable to challenge them because, um, unfortunately, they have to feed back to the professor what's being taught uh, on examinations and so forth. And uh, if you do come in uh, to a college or university setting with a, uh, a Christian background, uh, pretty much you're, you're humiliated uh, for any uh, um, um, discussion about God or the beginning of the universe uh, by a power bigger than the universe itself because they're thinking within the box, and uh, uh, God who is outside of the box cannot be brought into this, this uh, discussion. Yeah, there definitely are very few open forums today to be able to discuss both sides of the issue. 
Correct. Uh, many movements have occurred across the country to bring um, um, uh, the evidence of evolution uh, in contradistinction to the evidence for creation into the scientific classroom, and it's been denied at every level uh, in the state and local uh, political arenas, unfortunately, because there's a whole lot of good science now behind uh, creationism, and it's just not being allowed in the um, uh, government school system. We're talking about the beginning of the universe and uh, the power of God having that volitional choice uh, as to being the uh, having the ability to create uh, uh, the universe. So God had to have that ability to do something, to put it all together, um, and he had to have the power and the force and the ingredients to, uh, to do that. Um, the Big Bang uh, basically says that it all came together on its own and it just spontaneously happened. Um, but again, nothing comes from nothing, uh, and that's our argument against uh, the Big Bang. Uh, we agree that something like the Big Bang happened. We believe that God spoke everything into existence and lined up all of the events, the chemicals, the gases, uh, the energy, the force behind the, exi the, the existence of what we now call the, the universe. And it definitely had a beginning. Science knows that it had a beginning. So we are all in agreement that it had a beginning. But we believe that there was a beginner that prompted this whole chain of events to, uh, to occur. Um, I think that Einstein even had that concept too, as our, our most recent caller uh, suggested. So anyway, there had to be a first event. Um, outside of time, outside of space, something had to put all of it together. Um, it just didn't happen spontaneously. There had to be a volitional, volitional force and a mover behind all of it. It initiated the motion. It initiated the, the, the chemistry. It, it initiated the physics. It initiated the, the items that all came into play to uh, start the whole uh, thing. Um, just like, you know, if, if there's any cause for something in this universe, even on this planet, there had to be a mover that moved it first. You know, whether it's a, a stone that gets thrown against a building and it breaks a window, something had to initiate the movement on that stone. Right. Whether it was a, a tire from a truck that kicked up the stone or a kid throwing a rock, which is is a common scenario, but something had to initiate the movement. Uh, even if something were to blow over, for instance, let's say a tree blows over onto a house. Well, what, what caused that tree to blow over it? Well, the wind did. Well, what caused the wind? You can take it all the way back in the right. argument, but something had to move that wind. It's really totally irrational for anyone to say that the universe just came into existence on its own. That would be like saying... If you come outside in the morning and there's a big dent in the side of your car and you're saying, well, that just happened. Nothing did it. It just spontaneously dented. Yeah, wrinkled. I mean, how many people do you think, if you you said that to, how many people do you think would buy that argument? Yeah, well, Something must have dented your car. Yeah, it happens all the time in parking lots, and it, it does happen. But Yeah, and really anything that happens during the day, is there anything you can point to and say nothing caused that. So why should we think that the universe came into existence any other way but the same way? Something caused it. Well, we, we're going to call him a an unmoved mover. Okay. Outside of space and time, something had to move 
this whole energy process into motion before this big bang or this big flash happened. Uh, and we call him uh, God. Um, I think scientists are lost in their explanation to explain how it all came into existence from nothing, because nothing can come from nothing. I think we've established that. That's a, a rational perspective. Uh, Christians aren't irrational, unlike what, what many of the scientific uh, uh, people in the um, university settings will, will tell people. But we're looking at these things factually, just the facts. Even mathematics proves what we're saying. Zero times zero is what? Zero. Zero. That's You can't correct. get anything else but that answer. Right. So you've got to start with something other than zero in order to end up with a number. Right. Exactly right. So if we have a prime mover moving all of these ingredients towards life or towards the beginning of the universe, uh, this unmoved mover had to have uh, um, volition. He had to be a free moral agent, uh, just like you and I are, Kirk. We decided mm-hmm. today to come here to do the show. Mm-hmm. Not because anybody else forced us to, but because we wanted to. Mm-hmm. We were free moral agents to uh, take on this task and share our thoughts and our insights and our, our intellect with people, our insights uh, relative to your book, relative to what's available in scientific literature, and just to try to make sense of where did it all start? You know, what, what, what started this whole process that we call the universe and even life forms? Um, and we, we say that there is something bigger and better than what's inside of the box. And um, um, by definition, he is the uncaused cause of everything in the universe, in the physical world, in the physical realm that we now know. Um, really, we could sum this all up by quoting the, the very first verse of the Bible. Mm-hmm. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's what we're saying. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting how there's no attempt to explain anything about that verse. It doesn't try to explain who or what God is. It doesn't try to explain how it did it, how he did it. It just says God did it. And it takes that as, you know, a basis of truth. And we need to take it the same way. I really didn't want to get into the Bible, folks, but since you brought it up, Kirk, I, I want to take the second verse, too. I don't have the Bible in front of me, but I know what it says. It says that the the world, the earth, was formless and void, but the Spirit of God was hovering over it, mm-hmm. and, the, and the deep. Okay, so there was nothing there. Mm-hmm. It was formless and void. There was nothing there. That's space. That's a vacuum. Okay, and then... That's, that sounds like really another way of saying nothing, isn't it? That is There's correct. nothing there. There's nothing there. It was formless and void. Void is a, a null set in math. Nothing. Right. Nothing. Zero. A zero right. set. And then something happened. Yep. And God said, let there be light. Okay, that's the big bang. I call it the big flash. Mm-hmm. And then from that point forward, everything started to happen. This is the unmoved mover operating. That's correct. But anyway, um, we believe that it's the most sensible explanation for how the universe began and that uh, there was a being that was outside of time, outside of the universe, who had the tools, the power, all of the ingredients necessary to start the universe. He also had the power of free choice Mm -hmm. to do it. Mm -hmm. So at one point in time, he decided to do it, and and consequently we have the beginning of the universe as we know it. Mm -hmm. The spatio-temporal world is how we define the universe within space and time, Mm -hmm. all physical physical objects therein. And um, um, there was nothing prior to God that caused him to do it. 
Okay, mm-hmm. so the answer to that little child's question, well, where did God come from? Who is God? Who caused God? You know, we can't define him outside of the box. You know, in in the Bible, again, I didn't want to get into that, but God said, I am who I am, am being in the present tense, meaning the all-powerful, the infinite. The from, eternally existent one is the from, way I like to think of from that From the beginning, from the beginning. And, you know, yes. that goes back to Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, from the beginning. Really, the question, who caused God, is a nonsense question. If God is an uncaused cause, that's a nonsense question. Correct. And by definition, theists and atheists agree that if there is a God, then he is the uncaused cause, okay, the mm-hmm. mover of all things. Um, you know, it's a, and the, the concept is actually a pretty easy one to get your hands on, because if I asked you, Kirk, what is a unicorn, what's your answer? A horse with a horn on its head. Oh, a horse with a horn on its head. And we all agree that a unicorn is a horse with a, with a horn on its head. Right. But the real question is, does a unicorn exist? And mm-hmm. the answer is no. A unicorn doesn't exist, but by definition, we know that a horse with a horn is a unicorn. Right. And it's mythical, okay? Right. God is not a mythical— But if one did exist, that's what it would be. That's correct, okay? So our definition of God is that if God he exists— He is an uncaused cause. That's correct. So we, we all agree the atheists— That's what God is. The atheists and theists alike agree that God is the uncaused cause of all things in the physical universe. They simply disagree whether he's real or not real. Correct. And we're our position today is that God is real <laughs> and that he is a more logical uh, author, creator, beginner of this whole process than what science is coming up with. Right. And Which really, they're not coming up with much beyond the Big Bang. They're correct. not coming up with anything. They say they don't know. Right. They they can't go past the Big Bang, uh, beyond the Big Bang, because um, we, we maintain that nothing can come from nothing, and they really can't go past that either, and that's where their argument right. actually falls apart. They're stuck. Some of them try to get around it by saying things like, well, the physical laws were different back then, and spontaneous generation was possible. But that in itself is not a scientific statement because there's no evidence whatsoever to indicate that. Right. You know, if you're going to say at some point in time spontaneous generation was possible, then the next logical question is, okay, what's your evidence for that? And they have none. So therefore, it's only imagination and speculation to say that. It's not science. Right. And if you want to further that uh, by definition of science, science is all that can be observed and tested and reproducibly tested. In other words, right. the res- results should be the same. Right. And by inference, there should be order. You know, whether it's the molecular structure of hydrogen, um, two hydrogens and, and one oxygen, which makes up a water molecule, mm-hmm. we know that it's a predictable item. You're going to have two hydrogens, one oxygen, therefore you have water. The periodic table is replete with elements that have a certain order to them. Mm-hmm. Certain number of protons, certain number of uh, electrons and neutrons make it a certain chemical element. We know that. So science is very reproducible and very much ordered. Mm-hmm. Okay, We know that the universe is very much ordered. Okay, It's not a random chaotic process. And hence, by inference, you can't have totally disordered, random chaotic events in the universe and then think that something 
ordered will come out of it. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't work. Okay, but with entropy, you know, you go from order down to disorder, but we still see order in the universe. You know, whether you're going to launch a rocket ship from Cape Canaveral up to the moon, you know, you, by using the laws of physics, by using the laws of trajectory, movement, motion, gravity, and so forth, you can predict where you're going to ro- launch your rocket at what target so that as the moon moves into that position, you're going to put a moon, um, a- an object around the moon in the form of a rocket or a satellite or whatever. Uh, because it's very predictable and very ordered. So order had to come from something. Okay. I would add to that, too, that at first glance, a lot of uh, events in the universe appear to be random. But if you really look closely at it, uh, that really doesn't hold up. Like, for instance, some uh, someone gets in an auto accident this afternoon, and uh, they're seriously hurt, and their car is banged up. You would say, well, that was a random thing. You know, he he didn't know that truck was going to run the red light at that certain time when he was going through the intersection and blah, blah, blah. And it was just a random event that happened. But if you look at it closely, you know, the truck, the guy got in the truck at a certain time, was headed in a certain direction at a certain time. You were headed toward the light at a certain time. Something caused the man to... Um, not see the red light, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And there really are reasons to explain why the accident happened if you get down to it. It didn't just happen. There were a number of events that led up to it happening. Mm -hmm. And that's really true with just about everything that happens to us, even though on the surface it may look random. If you look deeper, you'll find out there's all kinds of reasons why it happened the way it happened. So it's really not a random thing after all. It's a great example because within space and time, that accident occurred because certain things were put in motion. Right. And within a time context, everything came to that point in time where it happened. And the physical laws of the universe were all operating the way they always do. You know, two solid objects can't occupy the same space at the same time and speed and, you know, all the other scientific mumbo-jumbo you can use to explain it, but the point is there really is no such thing as a totally random event. Correct. And and consequently, uh, we, we will argue that the universe didn't occur because of a random collection of gases and, and masses and atoms and, and, and elements, right. uh, but they were all brought together at the right time, at the right temperature, at the right uh, location, and it By happened. By a superior intelligence. That is correct. And, you know, science is replete with evidences of superior intelligence and design. The design argument we can go on, you know, whether it's in outer space or down to the microbiological level, Mm -hmm. you know, using water as an example or even DNA, which I believe is the most incredible evidence of design and intelligence. Mm -hmm. I believe that DNA is the thumbprint of God. I've said that many times. Uh, during this show, and I believe that uh, eventually any serious seeker in a scientific community that examines DNA for what it is and how complex it is has to come to the conclusion that this was designed, this did not happen by random chance, random events, uh, or random propagation. You know, in a primordial soup, if you want to take it all the way back to the beginning, mm-hmm. just could not have happened. It's absolutely impossible. You know, and the other thing that uh, scientists have a problem with is sexual reproduction. If we're going to talk about DNA, how did the male or female of each species 
simultaneously exist and evolve to the point where they could copulate and have another uh, created being right. happen as a result of random How events. How did the two sexes evolve at the same time in order to make the whole exactly. system work? Exactly. It, it doesn't make sense. If If evolution were true, it would seem to me that all reproduction would be asexual, which there are some simple creatures that reproduce themselves that you know that are it's called asexual it's not there aren't two sexes that come together they they are literally able to reproduce themselves why are we all not that way that would be the logical way for evolution to do it right and it would be random as well uh very very difficult argument for uh, science to uh, uh come back at us with um so anyway, we've, we've already established that there is design both at the microbiological level and also uh, using the, the universe uh, as an example. Order exists. It's very clear that order exists. There is an ordered number of objects. The, uh, the orbits of all of our planets in our solar system are predictable. Halley's Comet is predictable. I think it's, what, one, one every uh, 106 years or something like that. Mm-hmm. But it's predictable. Science knows when the next uh, Halley's Comet is going to come around the Earth uh, or near the Earth and around the sun and then shoot back out into its trajectory. I so, find it amazing that the, uh, the Earth and the sun and the planets move in such an orderly fashion that we measure time by them. And there's no clock made by a human being in the world that is as accurate as the heavenly bodies are in measuring time. Even the atomic clock in Washington, which is supposed to be accurate to like, I don't know what it is, 10 billionth of a second or something, even that isn't as accurate as the earth itself in its revolution. That to me is is staggering. Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, when you look at it, and it doesn't matter if it's microbiology or, or basic chemistry, you know, getting it down to the, the chemical uh, elements, um, you know, how, how many nuclei or how many um, atoms and, and uh, protons and, and electrons are rotating around uh, an atom at any given time. There's an ordered structure to each mm-hmm. level of, of uh, uh, electrons. And it always of functions exactly the same way at the same speed. And it's predictable. Yes, science, entirely predictable. Science can predict that. That's, that's what science is based on, that the material universe is predictable. And the problem that science has is, is that they have a hard time explaining this order without the existence of God. Mm-hmm. Um, we maintain, without some superior intelligence somewhere. And we maintain that God had everything to do with this orderly nature of of every created thing. Everything that we can see and taste and touch and smell and measure uh, owes its existence to God. Uh, Sounds logical to me. And the Well, you know, science, I, I feel that science every day proves the existence of God. Mm-hmm. You know, and again, DNA, I believe, is the thumbprint of God. All life depends on its reproduction. It doesn't matter if it's an asexual um, um, uh, thing or if it's sexual reproduction or, or whatever, but DNA is the bottom line. Even That's to, the blueprint that makes everything work. Correct. Who and designed the blueprint? You know, when Watson and Crick discovered the uh, double helical uh, configuration of DNA in 1954, and they shared a Nobel Prize for it, mm-hmm. they had no idea as to how complex all of the chemistry was that went into 
the unzipping of each strand of DNA and then the reconfiguration and the transcription. and, and They're still trying to figure it all out. It, it's phenomenal, the, the amazing complexity uh, at the intracellular level. Well, folks, uh, we've come to the conclusion of uh, our hour. Uh, I want to thank you for uh, uh, staying tuned to us. Uh, you have been listening to Evidence for Faith, and we uh, hope and pray that you'll join us again uh, next week for a continuation of this uh, discussion on the existence of God. And remember, the best reason for being a Christian is because it's true.